0: Hello and welcome to South Asia Chart, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I am your host, Dr. Cholani Athanayaka, Research Fellow at the Institute. So, since the idea of Indo-Pacific has become a point of reference for Australian government to define the country's foreign and security policy interests, uh, global developments such as the COD Grouping, a gro- uh, growing competition between India, China and the recently formed AUKUS reflect the pace of geopolitical change in the Indo-Pacific and the centrality of the region to Australia for security and trade purposes. To discuss these aspects and more, I am joined by Dr. Beck Strati, Director of Lathrop Asia and an aso- Associate Professor in Politics and International Relations, in the Department of Politics, Media, and Philosophy. Welcome to South Asia Char, Dr. Strating.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. So let's begin with the most uh, discussed uh, strategic document recently. So uh, Australia's Indian Ocean strategy has evolved significantly in the recent years, and this is reflected in the 2020 Defence Strategic Update as well. Um, the This uh, document identifies the Northeast, Indian Ocean, Southeast Asia and the Pacific as three priorities uh, for Australia um, and as its priority uh, immediate regions. How this impact Australia's strategic outlook and how do you think this will impact its approach to South Asia?
1: Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question because the, the 2020 Defence Strategic Update, as you mentioned, uh, prioritises the immediate region around Australia uh, in terms of defence, uh, but it needs to be kind of placed within Australia's broader Indo-Pacific concept, which is a bit broader than uh, the, than that sort of characterisation of the immediate region. Uh, and part of the um, driving or part of it, the central sort of component of uh, Australia's Indo Pacific concept as it's emerged over the last decade or so is a greater focus on the Indian Ocean. You know, Previously, Australia had really paid a lot of attention to the Pacific, uh, and this was an attempt to kind of rebalance how we think about our strategic geography. Uh, and so in the Indian Ocean, maritime security cooperation is becoming increasingly uh, important, uh, and there's a good reason for that. I mean, if we think about... The length of Western Australia's coastline, most of which faces out into the uh, the Indian Ocean, its coastline is nearly thirteen thousand kilometres, uh, and it's twenty thousand kilometres if you include its offshore territories. Which is just a remarkable kind of length of coastline. So, uh, it's it's there's no um, sort of great mystery as to as to why the Indian Ocean should be considered. Important to Australia's uh, security. Uh, and the Indian Ocean is also home to lucrative offshore hydrocarbon reserves. It has, there are important ports um, that, that are situated along that coastline. So uh, there are good reasons for Australia to be interested in the Indian Ocean. Uh, so that's part of the reason why Australia has adopted this Indo Pacific concept. And the other important component is that it's really wanting to grow bilateral ties with India. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, those of us uh, who are situated on the east coast of Australia have tended to look up to the north and uh, and to the east uh, towards the uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, but now there is this real uh, concerted effort to increase links with, with India. Uh, the partnership was elevated to a comprehensive strategic partnership in 2020. They're both members of the Quad. Um, there's a sort of economic strategy that India has been pushing. In fact, there's even been an interim free trade agreement. Uh, The Australia-India Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement was um, announced this year and while it probably doesn't go as far as what uh, various groups would like, it's still a sign that the two countries are are really trying to to cooperate uh, in the economic space. Australia's been accepted into Malabar exercises, which for for a number of years we were in Australia thinking we might not be invited. Uh, And so that's a real sign of maritime security cooperation between Australia and India. Uh, And there's been various initiatives. You know, uh, only a couple of weeks ago it was announced that the Australian government's going to spend $28 million on a new centre for Australia-India relations. So there's a real push, I think, certainly from Australia's perspective, uh, in deepening ties uh, with India uh, and that is very much a part of Australia's Indo-Pacific concept and how it views its uh, strategic neighbourhood and, of course, it's not just about relations with India. I mean, my argument is that it's mostly about relations with India. I think that's really what Australia is concerned about. But also wrapped up in this is uh, increasing collaboration uh, with other Indian Ocean partners. There's been, so you know, a $36.5 million package announced um, for over five years to improve uh, cooperation in maritime shipping and disaster resilience and information sharing uh, in the northeast uh, Indian Ocean of Bangladesh is a key focus in that particular initiative. There's a new High Commission being announced in the Maldives. Uh, and, of course, Australia relates with um, Indian Ocean states through various regional forums, the Indian Ocean Naval Symposium, IORA, the Indian Ocean Rim Association. Um, so there, there are there is this effort, I think, to engage more with South Asia states from uh, from Australia's side. Uh, I think that uh, from my perspective, more investment really needs to be made uh, in areas like people to people links, education, and Australia's own understanding of South Asia, uh, particularly you know uh, in in the tertiary sector.
0: Thank you for that very comprehensive uh, overview. Now, since you already mentioned about the growing ties between uh, Australia and India in the backdrop of of COD, let me ask uh, a very uh, sort of like something related to the region. What is Australia's view on the developing regional dynamics such as India-China rivalry? And how much of its engagement are guided by its approach of keeping a check on China's rise?
1: Yeah, I might start by yeah. by really considering um, views of China within Australia uh, because uh, that's part of... A part of addressing that question about Australia and India is really linked to how Australia views China uh, and its rise and what it means for the region. And since about uh, 2017, so up around, over around the last five years or so, Australia's really um, dropped – its pragmatic approach to China and so the pragmatic foreign policy approach was this idea that Australia could have its cake and eat it too when it came to relations with great powers, the US and China in particular. It could have its security relationship alliance with the United States, but it could also strengthen its economic ties with China and that there wouldn't be um, substantial consequences or clashes between these security and economic relationships. And what we've seen over the last five years is that that has has come to a head that actually there is a tension between security, these security and economic relationships, uh, and that uh, you can't necessarily have your cake and eat it too, and that Australia has um, increasingly sought to choose its alliance with the United States. So there was a, you know, we used to talk about it in terms of, oh, Australia doesn't need to choose. Well, it's chosen. Like, let's let's put it that way. And, um, you know, we're in the middle of an election campaign, a federal election campaign in Australia as, as we're having this conversation, uh, and it's focused on security and defence policy issues, which is great. It's positive in the sense that, We uh, citizens are discussing are thinking about issues that have traditionally been thought of as being bipartisan uh, and, and not really always canvassed in federal elections, but there's a sense in which the China threat narratives have become... Uh, weaponized and we've we've been focusing a lot for example on um, the Solomon Islands and China security pact uh, and you know there's been concerns about what that means for Australia's uh, own security position uh, and a lot of breathless reporting about you know the potential for Chinese military bases and and so on but you know, this has uh, been a significant uh, issue and, you know, extraordinarily a couple of months ago Australia's head of ASIO, which is the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, actually rebuked the government for accusing members of the Opposition Labor Party of being under the thumb of the Chinese Communist Party or being sort of, you know, dictated to by the CCP and said that such weaponised narratives don't actually make their role in the intelligence community any easier, which is really interesting. But the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is that Australia's view on developing regional dynamics are really, um, really shaped by a rising China and what that means for the region. So not just in terms of the India-China rivalry, but particularly in terms of strategic competition between the US and China and in areas like the Pacific where Australia is seen as somewhat of a proxy for, for the United States. Uh, so if we look um, at the at, at the relationship with India as an example, there's efforts to downplay Uh, rising China as a driving feature of growing relations between Australia and India to kind of focus on elements such as, you know, growing mutual understanding and trust or um, the Indian diaspora in Australia. But really I think strategic competition is the most significant factor in Australia-India relations. And, you know, the, um, the... There's also, you know, a a, a narrative out there that, um, you know, Australia and India are both um, democracies, and that's also like a shared value or um, a a shared uh, political system that we share. Uh, But that really just provides cover for a much more interest-based approach, which is that both states are uncomfortable with rising China and what it means for regional order. Uh, So, I'll leave it
0: there. I really like your cake analogy about the relationship.
1: I love cake. So
0: <laughs> so you mentioned about the like, ongoing uh, debate about the Pacific Island states and Australia. So uh, let me sort of like um, ask something related to that. Now, Australia's relations with various Pacific Island states have been a crucial component for its foreign policy for a long period of time, as you already explained. Now, with the growing importance of the Indian Ocean region in recent times, with uh, several countries in the West releasing their Indo-Pacific strategies, do you see a similar deepening of relations with island states in the Indian Ocean as well? And how does Australia's approach uh, to the small island states in the Indian Ocean Um, within its uh, larger Indo-Pacific strategy strategy would look like?
1: It's such a good question and I really wish I knew uh, because actually part of what I see about Australia's approach to the Indo-Pacific is actually it's still... it still thinks about that region in terms of sub-regions um, or, or maritime domains. So, uh, you know, we've got a particular approach in the Pacific, uh, which still gets called really kind of paternalistically our neighborhood, or we keep talking about the Pacific family. There's some quite problematic kind of attitudes out there around Australia's relationship with the Pacific. But in any case, we see it as being really important strategically um, to our to our Own sense of of security. Uh, And then we, we see, you know, Southeast Asia as also being quite significant. And the Indian Ocean still probably um, lags behind those two particular areas, uh, with with the exception of um, India, the, the, the growing bilateral relations with India and um, the Quad. Uh, it's still not clear to me that the small island states of the Indian Ocean are going to be prioritised in the same way Um, that the the small island states of the Pacific Ocean will be. And that is, I think, part of the issue with Australia's Indo-Pacific approach is that it's not necessarily um, coherent. Uh, It's not necessarily um, looking at these maritime domains in in the same ways and it's a bit patchy, uh, if you like. So um, in the Pacific, you know, there's a lot going on in Australia's relationship with Pacific Island countries. You know, there's the Pacific Step Up, which started, uh, you know, around uh, 2018, I think, where you see this real investment, particularly... particularly in security areas, but also in infrastructure from Australia, because they recognised that there was a gap and that China was filling that gap. So it was driven again by concerns about rising China in the region. You know, it's got the Pacific Maritime Security Program, which is, you know, really um, quite an important part of Australia's maritime security strategy more generally. You know, we've got 21 Guardian-class patrol boats being uh, gifted uh, to Pacific Island states. You know, training is included. This is part of um, helping, uh, I guess, assisting uh, these uh, Pacific Island states to manage and monitor there's huge exclusive economic zones. You've got similar issues in the Indian Ocean, the huge maritime space um, that is, you know, it might be subject to blue crimes like IUU fishing or transnational drug smuggling, um, particularly thinking about climate change and the effects that that has on uh, maritime environments. So, um, you know, Pacific Maritime Security Programme, sort of Australia's... uh, Uh, effort to support um, maritime security sovereignty in a sense, the ability of of, uh, Pacific Island states to try to shore up the security of their maritime jurisdictions, I mean, that's something that could potentially be spread across other regions uh, although you know India I think views um, the Indian Ocean in the same way that Australia views Pacific Ocean so um, that's the, that's a sort of coordinated um, activities I guess among uh, quad states that, that really need to be uh, mapped out uh, but the biggest problem for Australia. Uh, in its relationship with Pacific Island states is not acting on climate change. Uh, you know, we've really lagged. We're pretty much an international pariah on climate change action and it's a serious impediment with relations with Pacific Island states. Uh, there is a divergent threat perception for um, a lot of Pacific Island leaders. Um, their concern isn't with what China's doing. Their concern is that China um, is that climate change presents an existential security threat uh, that is immediate, like that that is you know not just something that's far away into the future, but is actually affecting them now, uh, and that needs to be dealt with. Uh, rising sea levels, uh, you know, potential to 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 make uh, particularly low lying atolls uninhabitable, um, creating issues for for people who are living uh, on that land, but there's also you know consequences for maritime boundaries and resource entitlements and these sorts of issues are also important issues in the Indian Ocean and for Indian ocean states you see we see Maldives for example 80% could become uninhabitable uh, by 2050 because of uh, if current rates of, of global warming uh, keep up. So, you know, there's these efforts uh, in that state to try and, you know, create reinforcements uh, and and to, to prevent erosion due to rising sea levels. And Pacific Island states are, are, are taking approaches like trying to fix maritime boundaries within international law. Uh, And this has been an important component of small state island diplomacy. So um, there are issues in, in the Pacific island states that are kind of similar to what's going on in the Indian Ocean particularly around climate change and that is a real area that if Australia wants to engage with small island states it needs to it needs to fix its domestic policy um, and it really needs to um, start setting genuine targets and working towards them.
0: I totally agree with how uh, the problems with regard to special climate change are quite similar in both Pacific Islands and uh, Indian Ocean Islands and also that uh, it would help for Australia to have a coherent policy with regard to all the island states if you really sort of study their uh, concerns and issues and their strategic priorities. Uh, So this brings me to my last question. So moving forward, what do you make for the future of Australia-South Asia relationship, uh, especially with respect to small island states and also with respect to potential challenges you foresee and how these challenges can be overcome?
1: Well, I think there's three areas, and and some of this I've kind of already mapped out in my previous responses. But uh, the first is the first challenge is uh, is divergent attitudes to strategic competition um, to China and to the role that China plays in the region. I mean, Australia has a particular View on the the type of um, security threat that uh, that China poses to its its own national security, but also to um, you know, I guess what would say a, a regional balance of power uh, that is, and, and that perspective is not necessarily shared uh, by other regional states, and uh, it will have a difficult time trying to impose its will on regional states just by, you know, <laughs> just by wanting states to, 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 um, to counter China is not necessarily going to happen. So I think Australia uh, would do well in investing a lot more in diplomacy. Uh, and uh, and development other arms of statecraft dealing with climate change for example um, de- you know uh, dealing with things like um, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief uh, and really um, focusing on some of the issues that regional states are concerned with um, rather than trying to push them into understanding China in the same way that w- that, that Australia, or Australia's strategic elite, anyway, uh, views China. So I think uh, divergent attitudes to strategic competition is the first challenge. Um, the the second is policies on climate change. As I mentioned, this is a particular weakness for Australia uh, and I think that if it wants more regional credibility, if it wants to be a regional leader, and I think it does, um, then it needs to uh, really start... Um, changing its domestic policy settings uh, in in regards to, to grappling with um, carbon emissions. Uh, and there's no reason why we shouldn't. I mean, you know, we're very lucky in terms of, uh, you know, sun and wind and surf, so there's no reason why Australia couldn't be um, doing a lot more in terms of uh, developing green economies. Uh, but... There's there's these internal political problems that have made it that that have made it very difficult for leaders in Australia to really move substantively on on addressing climate change. But that's gonna that continues to have an impact on our credibility in the region. Um, And the the next the, the sort of the next challenge is perceptions on the so-called rules-based order. I mean, when when Australia, in my view, when Australia talks about the rules-based order, it's really talking about a US-led order. Um, and, you know, even states like uh, US and, and Australia, um, which purport to support a rules-based order, don't always, if it doesn't suit uh, its interests, uh, their interests. So um, I think that there is... Um, you know, some, some different attitudes towards what rules matter and how to create an inclusive rules-based order in the region. And Australia and and uh, other um, states that it partners with in the region really need to be careful not to exclude states uh, by focusing too much on mini-laterals like Quad or like AUKUS um, because, you know, these can be seen uh, as excluding Um, regional states, uh, particularly I think the diplomacy around AUKUS, uh, demonstrated that where, you know, this um, new security pact was announced and it seemed like from the Australian view very little attention was paid to how states, other states in the region might respond to this. And even India, um, you know, that a member of the quad state, initially the response from government officials was quite sort of reserved and... Uh, and Within, you know, I, w- I was reading um, some reports. One was written by Arvajit Singh in Lowy Interpreter that that said that um, even in New Delhi, among kind of strategic elites, there's a difference of opinion about whether AUKUS is a net benefit or a or a, or a security problem for for, for India. Um, so, I think these sort of three areas are probably the most important in, in my view. Um, there, there are lots of other challenges, economic challenges in terms of uh, economic um, or differences in, um, in in how states see an economic rules-based order. Um, it might be another one, but uh, I think really it's about for for Australia and thinking about it during this period of being in a federal election uh, and about to go off and vote, Uh, We really need policies that are going to engage us in the region and they can't just be policies that are tied to whatever China's doing or to our, you know, desperate support for a US-led regional order. They really need to be about deepening our relationships with states on their terms, not outside of the great powers, but because we view that as being an important part of being a, of being a member of this Indo-Pacific community.
0: Thank you, Dr Strating, for that very insightful discussion. I really uh, enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners also will learn a lot about Australia's Indo-Pacific strategy. Now, with that, we have come to an end of today's episode. You were listening to South Asia chart. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also get updates on social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram.